Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. You can be seated today if you would, please. Good morning, Calvary. Hey, so good to see you today. So glad you are here. I have at home a little, uh, little room that kind of functions like an office. And if, I, if I'm working from home, if there's something I need to get done, or oftentimes I'll, I'll work on my sermons, my messages in there. And I've got a, a desk there. And there's a drawer. Now, let's be honest. There's two drawers that are my snack drawers. Anybody else? Like I got, I got, I got a little, little stash and, and granola bars or some trail mix and, and then God has blessed me with some candy and that's, that's, that's the best part. So there's nothing wrong with that. It's not a sin for me to have that. It's, it's not bad for me to have those things you know, in my office. However, you know, you're not supposed to eat candy right before dinner. Isn't that what your mom told you? And yet, I'll, I'll be sitting there you know, I'll just kind of be sitting there at my desk for a minute. And that's when I hear from inside the drawer, I hear the candy from inside the drawer say to me, Chad, I miss you. <laughs> and you're just kind of like, oh, I miss, I miss you too, but it's going to be dinner soon. Oh, who cares? You know, and that's when you open it up and you just, whatever it is, it's little candy bars or gummy worms or something that's in there. And on more than one occasion over the years, when I've listened to that little inner voice from the drawer, outside in the hallway, I'll hear Rhonda go, what you doing? She hears it somehow. She like, she's a mom and the kids are all gone, so I'm the only one she, the eyes on the back of her head look at, I guess. And uh, it's those moments where I knew I shouldn't have done it and I still gave in to temptation. <laughs> We are going to talk about everybody's favorite topic today, <laughs> temptation. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. If you would, please, Matthew chapter 6, while you're turning there, just a couple of things that are good for us to, uh, to talk about today. This Wednesday night, 7 o'clock right here in Auditorium 1, we will have our annual business meeting. Our Constitution calls that uh, once a year, those that have gone through the formal membership process here at Calvary. So if you are a member, you've been through the membership classes either just within the last couple of months or maybe uh, decades ago, uh, we hope you will come out and join us. It's going to be a really special meeting. We always uh, take time to celebrate what God has done. We review our finances from the last year. We take time as our Constitution calls to elect those who will serve on our deacon board. And uh, if you uh, are a member, you should have received an email from us last week highlighting more of these details, asking you to prayerfully consider two individuals uh, to be elected to our deacon board, Gary Pontius Jr. and Dan Vandervlucht. And this year, we are going to do something that we've never done before in a business meeting setting, to my knowledge. We're going to burn our mortgage and are excited about that and the way that God has provided for us. So I hope that you will come out and join us Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, and, uh, and be a part of that celebration. Well, can I invite you now that you're in your seats and starting to get a little sleepy, would you stand with me today 
And uh, welcome to those of you who may be joining us online. Maybe you're watching by way of television or podcast. Big welcome to those of you over in Auditorium 2. So glad you're with us today. This is the last Sunday that we will do this. We've been working our way, kind of taking a deep dive into the prayer that Jesus gave us as a model of how we should pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer, and it's been our practice these last few weeks, kind of respect for God's word to stand and read this together. So would you join me, Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. Let's, let's say, let's pray this together. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we've been using kind of a a little model to help us to remember kind of different segments of how to pray this prayer. We've talked about that when we pray, when we talk to God, we begin and we look up and we look and we look and we look. And so, Father, today we thank you that you love us so much that you don't want to be distant from us or in, uninvolved in our lives. But, Lord, you want to be living and active and moving in our lives in every way. And so through this model prayer, you've taught us how to communicate with you, how to, how to speak with you, how to live life in intimacy with you. And so, Lord, today, as we talk about this really important topic, would you open up our hearts, our ears, our, our spiritual eyes, our minds to know what you want to share with us in our lives today, Holy Spirit, that we'll leave here different than the way we came in, in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen, amen. You can be seated today if you would, please. Hey, before we, before we jump in and talk about the kind of topic of the day as temptation, um, one of the things that I'd like to just take a minute and, and talk about is something that some of you have probably wondered as we've gone through this passage of Scripture. Uh, let, let's look again, Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, this time from the King James Version. And just to kind of set it in context, the King James Version, which a lot of us maybe grew up reading, I know that when I was young, most of the scripture memorization I did as a kid was in the King James Version. It, it sounds familiar to a lot of us. This was written in 1611, right? So we're talking, this, this version is centuries old. That'll be relevant here in just a moment. So this passage says, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And some of you said, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. We haven't been reading that or saying that. Anybody? <laughs> so what you learned it, that's the way I learned it. And you're like, well, why, why have we left that part off? So here, for, for some of you, this, this might not be that interesting. For others, it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating. You know that the scriptures that we have were not originally written in English. They were originally written centuries, centuries, centuries ago in Greek, the New Testament in Greek, the Old Testament primarily in Hebrew. And so those Greek documents have to be translated into English for us to read them. We also don't have just like one Greek copy that Paul put together and gave to the next generation and got passed along. We have little fragments 
and segments of the different books of the Bible that have been found over the years. Now, if you go, well, how do we know it's true when you got all these different parts? Just so you know, we have more kind of fragments and pieces that we can go back to and put these, these books together than any other form of ancient literature. So it actually shows us how reliable God's word is, not question whether we should trust it or not. But one of the things that's interesting is the, the, the fragments can be found and they can be dated. And they can try through everything from, from scientific means to history to context to where they were found, all these different things. They can kind of put into a time frame what ones are older and what ones are younger, if you will, newer, closer to the time. And the older a document is, the more it is reliable that it is an original. Does that make sense? So since the time that the King James Version was written, we've found more fragments that seem to be older than the ones that were used in translating this, and the older they are, the closer they are to the time of Christ, the more reliable they are that they're original. Let let me give you a for instance. If you were to go back to the little town that I grew up in called Southington, Ohio, kind of just outside of Warren, Northeast Ohio, and you were to go back to the house that I grew up in, my, my parents built that house, and, and I grew up in that house. You, you'd go to it, and if you went in the backyard, you'd look at the house, and you'd go, look at that carport that's on the side of the house. And, and look at that. Cool. There's a deck that's there and a cool room that the deck kind of comes out of, and you would see those things, and you would notice them. But if I showed you a picture from 1988, you wouldn't see that carport because my dad and I built that kind of when I was in high school. So it wasn't originally a part of the house. If I showed you a picture from 1974, just a few years after they built the house, you wouldn't see the deck and you wouldn't see the kind of the back sitting room. You would just see a concrete porch because my dad added that room and added that deck later. It was originally just a concrete porch that was there back in the early 70s when they built the house. So the the room is nice. The deck is awesome. The carport's great. But if you go back and look at the first photos, none of it was original. Does that make sense? So if you go back to the earliest documents that we have, the earliest fragments, the earliest kind of codex they're called that you go back to, you will not see there, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. So why is it there in some? Well, the practice in the early church was if you were going to pray, you would typically have some kind of doxology at the end. Like you would always add something that would give glory to God at the end of a prayer. And so when they started to pray this prayer in the early church, it was their custom to add some kind of doxology. These words really come from a passage in 1 Chronicles. So they're based on scripture. They just probably weren't originally a part of what Jesus taught when he taught us how to pray. So are they original, yes or no? Ooh, okay. Are they original, yes or no? No. Are they bad, yes or no? (laughs) No, no. Like, if you want to add them, great. It was a part that the early church did. But the reason they're not, say, in the NIV or the ESV or some other modern Bible translations is because they probably don't go back to the original. Four of you found that fascinating. The rest of you uh, were very kind, and uh, you may now unglaze over your eyes. Let's go back to our text. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Let's look at it in the NIV. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from the evil one. Maybe not for everyone, but I would guess for many of us, and with some real intensity for some of us, this subject of temptation is a big deal because how we are tempted gives, I don't know how to say it, like a a pressure, even a direction to our lives. Some of us wrestle with temptation in a way that has shaped us, defined us, those in our family, those on our, on our jobs. This is a huge topic for us to consider. And when Jesus told us to pray about this, he says not only do we consider temptation, but we consider the one who would love to see us tempted, which is the evil one. Because you know behind every lie there's a liar, and behind every temptation there's a tempter, and you have an enemy of your soul. Call him Satan, call him the devil, call him, call him the enemy, he's the evil one. And he would love to see you destroyed. We, we talked about temptation last fall when we came to the passage in Matthew chapter four where Jesus was tempted of the devil. And one of the things we saw there, and you see it all through scripture, is that what the devil loves to do is, is to somehow cause you to doubt. He's the father of lies. He loves to snatch away, uh, Matthew 19, or 13, 19 tells us, he loves to snatch away God's word so that he can keep us from truly trusting in, relying on, focusing our lives on God. And if he can tempt you, if he can get you to doubt God, he can then take you down all kinds of crazy paths. If you and I could sit down and have a conversation, one that was really honest, one where you felt like you could just be safe and say whatever you wanted. And I asked you, what's the temptation you wrestle with? I wonder what you'd say. For some of you, it'd be no secret. You'd probably go, well, my family knows, people know, everybody knows. For some of you, you'd go, <laughs> not even those the closest to me know that answer. But God does, and he wants to allow his word to apply to your life today so that we can be helped to handle temptation. As a pastor, it's quite frequent that, that someone will ask me, Pastor, what do, what do I do about this temptation? How do I handle this? How do I deal with this? How, how do I navigate when, when this temptation comes into my life? And I wanna, I wanna throw out an idea that may, may not be novel, but we'll see how it unfolds here in just a moment. We've spent the last six weeks or so working our way through the Lord's Prayer. I wanna challenge you, the next time temptation comes, come back to this prayer. Come back to a God who wants to help you with temptation. And I really think that the things we've learned to pray in the Lord's Prayer can help us in those moments when the enemy wants to tempt you. What I wanna show you today are five common temptations. Five common temptations that the evil one, that the enemy would like to use to trip you up, to throw you off, to mess you up in your life, and to deal with them. And this is what we wanna talk about today. How do we handle temptation? For each one of these temptations, we're gonna go back to the Lord's Prayer and see how what Jesus has already taught us will help us in moments of temptation. So we're gonna, we're gonna do our best to run through these. Let's start with this one. Number one, we talk about temptation. Number one is the temptation to doubt God's love. And you might go, well, I don't, I don't do that. But it's surprising how many times we kind of question, is God really good? Does he really love me? 
Because every time I let my pride get the best of me and I think I've got to handle it, I doubt that God really is good and that he's got a hold of it. In a couple of weeks, when we get to the end of Matthew chapter six, we're gonna talk about anxiety, stress, fear. And in all those things, Jesus tells us that when we give in to that anxiety, what we're really doing is saying that we really don't trust God with that situation. We doubt his goodness. We doubt that we can put our confidence in him. And, 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 and all of us do it. I don't say that like to be a heavy or to tell you that there's something wrong with you. I think that these are common temptations, right? It's, it's all of us. And doubting God's love and his goodness is the first step of distancing yourself from God. When I start to wonder, when I start to question, and it's not wrong to ask those questions. When you go through a loss, it's normal to say, God, where were you? When you don't understand what's going around you, it's, it's, the, it's the common thing to say, God, I don't get this. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But in all those moments, how important it is, even in those times, to say, God, I, I trust you. I believe that you are good. I believe that you love me, and I put my confidence in you. It goes all the way back to what we prayed at the beginning, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. It starts out and says this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He loves you like a perfect father. He's in heaven and he's all powerful. You can trust that he is right and he's good because he's holy and he is present in every moment in every area of our lives. If we'll keep those things in mind, even when temptation comes knocking on our door, it'll help us. The problem is when all we focus on is our doubts, our questions, or even sometimes our disappointment and anger with God, it actually distances us. This distances us. It takes us further from God. You ever seen on the movies when a little kid gets mad at their parents and they go in their bedroom and slam the door and a little preschooler says, that's it, I'm running away from home. Anybody do it? I did. I got mad. I had a little brown suitcase. I remember I got it out of the closet and I threw it open on the bed. I don't remember exactly what I put in it, probably like a toy and a book, and I, I, I distinctly remember putting a pair of underwear in there, <laughs> closing it up and getting ready to march out, and then kind of realizing, that's the dumbest thing I could do. Because <laughs> when I march away from here, I don't like things right now, but I'm marching away from the people that I know love me, and I'm hungry. And at that point, I didn't yet have a snack drawer. And you know what? We're tempted sometimes to just distance ourselves from God. And remember this, God loves you. He's with you. He is good and he can be trusted even when we don't like or understand what's going on. And can I tell you this? And this is key as we talk about temptation, that in these moments, God is with you even in the moments of temptation. If we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul helps us when he's talking about temptations. He says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. For no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out. Some, some Bible translations say he'll provide a way of escape so that you can endure it. 
So know this as we unpack the rest of these temptations. Your loving heavenly father does not want temptation to get the best of you. He does not want you to live in defeat or disappointment. He wants you to live in victory over the things that try to get the best of you because he loves you, which takes us to the second kind of common temptation that's good for us to talk about. Number two, it's the temptation to doubt God's plan. It's the temptation to doubt God's plan. Because sometimes we have a plan and our plan is different than God's plan and sometimes things come into our world that we did not expect or plan for. There's a, there's a dude that was working several years ago in, in Florida, in a minute you'll go, of course it's Florida, working in Florida at a Wendy's and he was running the drive-through late one night, it was like one, two in the morning. Guy pulls up to the speaker, orders some food and uh, he pulls up to the window and as the employee hands the guy out his drink, there's no video footage. I've just read the story. Don't ask me how it happened. But as the guy handed him his drink, the guy in the pickup truck had somewhere along the way picked up a three and a half foot long alligator and thought it would be funny to just throw it in the window of the drive-thru. And so here you, all this guy wants to do is give him his Coke and all of a sudden Baconator's coming right at him. And they were able to, you know, the animal control came, and they got the alligator out, and they finally caught the guy that did all this. It's just a weird story. But I thought to myself, have you ever had a day when all you were trying to do was your job, and next thing you know, something comes flying at you with teeth? Anybody? <laughs> you didn't expect it, and yet that's what's right there in front of you. And you go, I was just trying to have a good day, and next thing I know, I got an alligator flying at me. Because you didn't. You didn't expect that call from the doctor. You didn't think you'd ever hear that person say that. That news from your boss, that thought in your head, or that decision you look back and you go, did I do that? And you have these moments and the unexpected flies into our world and we're tempted in those moments to doubt God's plan. And to think we have to take care of it all for ourselves or that we don't have it figured out. Look, the evil one wants to keep you from what God wants to give you. John 10.10 says that the thief comes to steal and kill and to destroy. And whatever are the good things that God wants to bring into your life, the enemy would like nothing more than to strip those from you and to bring destruction into your life instead. You know that, right? Like that's what he would love to do. Instead, in those moments when you start to question God's plan, in those moments when you don't understand it, in those moments even when you've been sinned against, then you're not the one who you can look and go, I didn't throw this thing off track. I'm not the one who made those decisions. But even in those moments, to come back to the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, and say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because God wants to bring heaven to your earth but the enemy would love nothing more than to keep you held to earth and away from heaven. Do you remember the temptation that the devil brought to Jesus in Matthew chapter six, when, or excuse me, Matthew chapter four, when he said to him, hey, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. He was offering Jesus a shortcut because Jesus already had all the kingdoms of heaven. And for him to have victory in the place where he was then, he would have to go to the cross it was gonna take a while. It was not gonna be easy. And the devil said, you wanna skip God's plan and do it my way? I can give you a shortcut. But in offering him earth, he was gonna strip him of heaven. The evil one will slowly move you away from heaven 
and closer to earth. And at some point, we have to be aware of that. If he can get you to do things his way instead of God's way, what his ultimate plan is, is to get you to forget that what God really wants to do is have his kingdom come, his will be done, that what happens in your earth is what God wants in his heaven. But if you can be so focused on your plan, then the enemy wins in that process. I told you that uh, a couple weeks ago that Rhonda and I had the privilege of attending this, this uh, conference in California. And while we were out there, we, we went out a couple extra days because it was February, then it's California. Are you with me? And uh, so we went out a couple extra days early, and we're like, well, what, do we, what do we do while we're out here? And Rhonda said, well, why don't we go to Disneyland? And my first thought was, well, I'm, I'm way too old to just, the two of us just go to Disney by ourselves. <laughs> and then I thought, why not? And we, we, we were some of the oldest people dating at Disneyland, and it was awesome. I saw all these people with family and stuff, and I just walked right past. It was fun. It was great. We had a blast, right? We were sitting there, and we were eating, and they, they have these just wide open kind of dining areas, you know, outside. And so we were, we're just sitting there. And while we're having our dinner, this family comes over, mom, dad, Probably three little boys. No, there were three, not probably three little boys. Three little boys, but probably all under like five or six and all in need of the Lord's salvation. <laughs> I want to say that they have not yet dealt with their original sin, but what they were really was just brats. Anybody? <laughs> like, so, so we're sitting there and I'm watching and the longer we're there, just one, the, the more I want to lean over and give them parenting advice, but I'm not their pastor, right? So I'm just biting my tongue, just kind of watching. And, and these kids are just they're, just, they're just, they're just bad. None of your kids are like that because they're here today in church. These kids need to go to church. And so, like, I remember when we walked away from the table, Rhonda looked at me and said, boy, those people spent an awful lot of money to have a miserable day, didn't they, you know? But I'm watching, and, like, I'm listening to them whine. I was a kid like this. We all were, Right? But I'm listening to them whine about the littlest, least important things that just don't matter. And I wanted to lean over and say to these little kids, would you stop it? That doesn't matter. You're at Disneyland. Do you know where you are? Like, you're letting yourself get so bent out of shape. You're letting yourself get so worked up. You're so frustrated because you don't like your straw. When you're at Disneyland, you're missing out on what's happening around you because you're so focused on this little thing of no consequence, which is exactly what God has to say to me more often than I'd care to admit. You're so upset. You're so uptight. You're so focused on what's happening here in your little earth, and I want to bring you heaven, and I can be tempted to be so focused on what's happening here and forget that God has his best, his will, his kingdom to bring heaven to earth in my life. And I need to not be tempted to doubt when I don't like his plan. Which takes me then to the third thing because this, I think the evil one, he, he likes to kind of tie these things together. Number three, he, it's a temptation to doubt God's provision. If he can get us to doubt that God can meet our needs, that God can supply for us. What's at, the, what's at the very basic heart of the Lord's Prayer? Well, there, there is right in the middle, Matthew chapter six, verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. Lord, the things that I need. Now, you don't necessarily need daily bread, but you need God to provide for you. 
and in physical ways. And coming down to that need, that need for provision, sometimes I think I'm gonna take things into my own hands. Now, you're probably not going through the grocery store and swiping loaves of bread, but there's other places in our lives where we don't trust God's provision. We get angry and we try to handle situations on our own because we don't think that we can trust God to provide for us in those moments. We get in a situation and we're not so sure we wanna deal with the truth, so instead we tell a lie because we were tempted to think, I, I've gotta fix this so I can fix it by just kinda fudging on some of those details. We give in to lust because we don't think that God can, in his way, show us the way in which our needs can be met. It's why we idolize money and we give in to greed because we think we have to take care of those things and we don't trust that God will provide. And when we get down to just about every temptation that comes our way, at its heart is we say to ourselves, God, I, I, don't, I don't trust that your way is the best way. So I'm gonna take care and I'll provide for myself in this because I'm gonna do this instead of trusting that, that your way is the way that that need should be met. When we were talking about this back um, last fall, we talked about the idea that every temptation is a transaction. That every time you're tempted, you have a choice to make. And there's no temptation, even if it seems really small, that somehow does not cost you something. If you give in, the enemy is going to cash out. And sometimes he's doing it on credit because the longer you're tempted, he's just building it up for the moment. Big failures, big mistakes, big bad decisions are usually not just one temptation. They're a bunch of little temptations that you've been banking into, dropping your guard for a long, long time. And every temptation is a transaction. And the enemy will try to get you to just give in and to, and, to, and to purchase that thing, to buy that thing from him that you think you want in the moment, but in the end ends up just being a cheap substitute. When I was in high school, I, I played guitar on the worship team at church, and uh, um, I don't know when my audition is here, but I, it's, it's what I did, and, and I had a, a regular kind of six-string acoustic guitar. If you're not a guitar player, most guitars have six strings, um, but you can also buy a 12-string. And a 12-string guitar has a whole different kind of sound. It's, it's really cool. It's, it's, it's kind of full and can be used in some different ways. And I said, I want a 12-string guitar. So we didn't have Facebook Marketplace. We didn't have the internet. We used technology called classified ads. Anybody? So I got the newspaper, and I would look, and I would read, and I saw where somebody was selling a 12-string guitar. So I called them up, said, hey, yeah, sure, went over. It was a good deal. Bought this guitar, got it home, started playing it. And eventually I realized this, there's something not right with this thing. So I took it into the music store and they looked at it and they said, oh, here's, oh, you, oh, yeah. You ever had somebody get that look on their face? Oh, you bought this brand. Oh, oh, you bought that model. Yeah, unfortunately, that brand and that model was all known to have a structural failure. And right where the neck would meet the body, it didn't have the support that it needed. And he goes, see, see that crack right there? Yeah, the guitar you bought is unrepairable. Enjoy. I took a bad deal. Somebody sold me a bill of goods. And I thought in the moment that what I was getting was the real thing. 
but actually what I was getting was a broken down cheap substitute for what I really wanted. Every temptation is a transaction. And the enemy will offer you something in the moment that you think you want. It'll probably cost you in the end more than you can expect. And you will not get God's best for your life when you go that route instead of the one that God has determined for you. And the evil one will be strategic in seasons of your life. Just, just I, I, I feel like God wants us to stress this. He knows when you're vulnerable and he knows when you're weary and he knows how to bring the build up to the point where he can then push you over the edge. That's why it's so important that we be aware of temptation in our lives and trust that God is gonna help us in those moments. Sometimes we're tempted to doubt God's provision. And then there's the fourth thing, number four. Sometimes temptation is to doubt God's grace. Sometimes we're tempted to doubt God's grace in our lives. That we believe that God can forgive us or that he can work through us to forgive others. Matthew chapter six, verse 12. We've looked at it the last two weeks when we talked about how God can forgive us and how we can forgive one another. Matthew chapter six, verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And some of us give in to this temptation to doubt God's grace. What, what do you mean, Chad? Well, I mean this. The evil one would like to keep you trapped in guilt and shame. And I've been surprised at the number of people that I've talked to since the message two weeks ago when we talked about how God can forgive us who have said to me, I've lived a lot of my life trapped in guilt and shame. Going back to that thing, reliving in my mind that choice or that decision or that moment or that time. And our actions will have consequences. When we give in to temptation, yes, it's a, it's a transaction. It costs something. And yet God is willing to bring us his forgiveness. Anybody glad for that? He's willing to forgive us. Romans chapter eight, verse one, tells us this, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're feeling that guilt and shame and you're getting stuck in that place and that's what's on loop and on repeat in your mind, know that that's not from God because his grace wants to bring you forgiveness. On the same hand, the evil one would like to keep you trapped in bitterness and unforgiveness. Not just in guilt and shame, but the evil one would like to keep you trapped in bitterness and unforgiveness towards other people. Not just God's forgiveness to you, but your forgiveness to others. And if he can get you stuck in the place of bitterness, if he can get you stuck in a place of resentment, we talked about this last week, if he can get you stuck in a place where it's hard for you to forgive others, that's exactly where he wants you to be. So this, this is, I think, for a lot of people, a temptation that we don't think about because it's not robbing a bank, so we don't think of it as temptation. It's not telling a lie. It's not taking a life. So we don't often think of it as a temptation. But the devil would love to tempt you and get you stuck and trapped so that you give in and deny God's grace and stay stuck in your shame or stay stuck in your bitterness because that one will take up all kinds of real estate in your brain. So where are you keeping your mind? Like when it comes to these things, where, where, do, you, where do you keep your mind set? How do you think about these things? What are the things that say stuck in your mind that you come back to over and over again? Do you find yourself going back to God's grace or going back to that shame or going back to that resentment? I've shared before for about 14 years, we had a, a dog, a golden doodle named Samson, and we loved that dog. 
he had so much character and personality, but he was weird. <laughs> so many ways he was weird. And he just, he would, he would eat things all the time. Like, like he, we went to bed one night and he ate a whole package of bagels. We went, we went on a trip one time, brought home fudge, and he ate a pound and a half of fudge, which dogs are not supposed to do. We prayed him through that one. I mean, just all kinds of things. But socks? Like, he was like, he, he had an issue with socks. And, and the one that I, I hate to admit, because it does not reflect on his parents, but he loved to eat used Kleenex. Like, I know that's not cool to talk about, but it, it was just, he loved them. And he would have, he was so, he's smart. He'd, he'd lay in the living room, and if you, if you blew your nose, he knew it. He knew it right away. His favorite mark was our daughter, Carissa. When she would get sick, I can remember as a little kid, she's sitting on the couch, you know, and she's sick. She's got the box of Kleenex and, you know, and you, you know you're doing that. And every time he would just kind of go, hmm. And he would, he would lay there and we would, we would leave the room. If we ever left the room, he immediately was up, just followed us wherever we were going. Not, not if he thought he had a treasure trove over there. And as soon as we weren't kind of paying attention, that dog could snatch nasties off the couch faster than you can imagine because he could not get out of his mind that nasty thing that he thought he wanted. He's fixated on that. Now, this is a weird analogy, but some of you keep some nasty things fixated in your mind. And you go back over and over again to the time you blew it. Did you get it? Did you get it? Okay. You go back over and over again to that time somebody else blew it. And your mind keeps going there over and over again and over and over again. And God's grace wants to set you free from that place. He wants you to have a new attitude in those things. Ephesians chapter four, verse 22 tells us this. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And some of you need to ask God's grace to bring a new attitude to your life. It doesn't necessarily change things. You, you may still have some of the ramifications of the choices you made. It doesn't necessarily mean you, you trust the people who, who are the debtors against you, who trespass against you. But this new attitude says, because of God's grace, I can be forgiven and I can be forgiving. And instead of being stuck there and fixated on the places where the devil wants to keep your mind stuck, God can bring you a new attitude, which takes you to the last one. And one we might not think about as temptation, but I think it's at the very heart of what Jesus is talking about here. The fifth common temptation is the temptation to doubt God's help. It's the temptation to think that I just need to give up not to persevere, to give in on your faith, your walk with God in that situation. Currently, we, we call it quiet quitting. Have you heard that term? Where you just kind of say, eh, I'm done. I give up. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13 says to us, and lead us, in, and, and lead us not into temptation. 
but deliver us from the evil one. Now look, we know from scripture that God does not tempt us. Right, James chapter one tells us this. So this isn't God trying to trick you or tempt you. This, this word for temptation here has in its meaning the idea of trials and tests as well as temptations. And what Jesus is teaching us to pray is this. God, will you help me in moments of trial and temptation to not give in in those times, to not give up in those times, to not think I won't make it in those times, but instead, God, to trust in you. John Stott says it this way, perhaps we could paraphrase the whole request as do not allow us to be led into temptation that it overwhelms us but rescue us from the evil one. Some of you know what it's like to feel overwhelmed by temptation. Some of you know what it feels like to be overwhelmed by the season that you're in and you feel like you wanna give up and you feel like you wanna give in and you feel like you can't make it and that's exactly what the evil one wants you to think and feel. And what Jesus wants you to pray is in those moments to realize that if you give in to the enemy, he's stronger than you are. And he wants to destroy you, but Jesus wants to help you. And in those moments to say to him, Lord, will you help me? I can't handle this temptation. I can't handle this trial. I can't handle the evil one on my own. So will you deliver me and will you help me to make it through this difficult season? You can do that with confidence because Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. That's why he came in, in human flesh, fully God, yet fully man. Hebrews chapter two, verse 18 tells us that because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So look, when you feel like giving up, and I know that's not everybody, but somebody watching this is right now. Somebody sitting in this room is right now. Somebody in auditorium too is right now thinking, It'd be so much easier to give up on this. It'd be so much easier to ignore what God would want on that. And Jesus says, in those moments, remember, that's the evil one who would like nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy. And instead to say, Jesus, will you help me? Because Jesus can help you from falling when you are tempted. He can help you. His desire is to help you, not just to rescue you. There's this beautiful passage in Jude chapter one, verse 24. Listen to this. Jude finishes his book and he says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. I love that because I'm prone to stumble on my own. Anybody else? Anybody else? Oh, you're also holy. Yeah, I'm prone to stumble on my own, but he can keep me. He wants to keep me. He wants to help me every step along the way. So don't give up in times of temptation. If you feel like giving up today, again, I know that might not be you, but I can tell you it's somebody. If you feel like giving up today, th this is why we're coming to communion. Remember what Jesus did. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, encourages us in these moments, fixing our eyes on Jesus, pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Look, look at this next part and what he says. Consider him who endured such opposition. When you want to give up, remember what Jesus did. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is one of those messages, one, that when we talk about some of these things, I just, I just know it's, it's 
not necessarily fun because we all have our own places where we know that the evil one likes to tempt us. And I know it doesn't necessarily apply to everyone because sometimes we're in different seasons of life where we wrestle with temptation in different ways. But I also know this. This was important enough that Jesus put it right there at the tail end of this prayer to let us know that in those moments when we're prone to give in, to instead hold on and trust in him. And I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted to use today as a warning. In medieval times, in a home, and you'd have sometimes multiple families, multiple people, kind of generations all inside this one home, they would have the hearth for the fire, almost what we would consider like a fire pit today, kind of right in the center of the home. And they would, they would build this kind of big fireplace that was there, open, open-ended kind of there. What it would do, it would allow them to kind of all huddle around it for warmth. It was, of course, a form of, of, of protection in some ways. It's where they would cook. So that was the center of everything. But the problem was that in a lot of these homes, most of these homes actually, even the wealthy, they were built out of wood or timber. So if the fire were to go out of control overnight while they were sleeping, it could burn that house down and also many around them. So what they decided was we need to do something to help people keep this in mind. So every night in these villages throughout Scotland at a set time, oftentimes around 8 p.m., what would happen is somebody at the church would go and ring a bell. It was called the curfew bell. And it was a reminder to everyone that you have a fire in your home that if left unattended can go out of control and can destroy everything that you value. And we wanna remind you to tend to it. So they would sometimes put, put cold ashes on it so it would stay warm and going underneath. They could revive it the next day or they would put this metal grate on top of it that would keep it from going out of control. But it was this reminder, you have a fire inside of you that if you're not careful, it will destroy everything that you value. And so they would ring the bell. And for some of you, the Holy Spirit's ringing a bell today that's saying that temptation that you keep giving into, that temptation that keeps knocking on your door, if you dismiss and ignore it, it's just stoking a fire inside of you that if you're not careful, if you don't let Jesus help you, it could destroy you. So instead, Lord, would you lead us not into temptation and instead deliver us from the evil one? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? We're gonna to come to the Lord's table here today. And Paul instructs us that in these moments we ought to examine ourselves. Is there something in us that isn't right between us and God? Is there a place where we need his forgiveness? Is there a place where we need his help? And maybe for you today, what, what you need is not just to ask for help with temptation, but you clearly need to say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. Maybe you've prayed prayers like this many times before. Maybe this is the first time. But today you know you need his forgiveness. Today you know you need his purpose in your life. And you need to say, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior and my Lord. It's, it's as simple as saying, Jesus, I give you my life. I give myself to you. 
you can begin today a relationship with him that can change you forever. Heavenly Father, thanks for your word. And it's a reminder that there is an evil one who would like to destroy us. But you've come to deliver us. And so God, would you help us? Lord, we, we today ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, some of us even say, Jesus, we need you. We give you our lives today. As we look to and we trust in you. Thank you for your sacrifice as we remember in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm gonna invite you to take the communion elements with me if you would, please. And as you open that top layer and take the bread, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this bread that represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. It's a reminder that you loved us so much that you gave your life for us. So Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice, not one that we earned or we deserved, one we gladly receive with your grace and forgiveness. In Jesus' name, let's share in the bread together. And as you open the cup, Paul instructed us in the same way after supper. He took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And we, we pause for a moment because Jesus, we need you. Your blood gives us life. And because of the shed blood of Jesus, we can have hope. Lord, some of us feel hopeless today. Would you fill us with your hope? And Lord, because of your shed blood, there's healing. Lord, some of us need healing today. Healing because of temptations past healing because of guilt and shame healing because of bitterness and resentment some of us need he healing in our physical bodies in Jesus name would you bring healing and God some of us need forgiveness and there's forgiveness because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and so, Lord, we thank you today for your sacrifice that changes everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's share in the cup together. And can I invite you to go ahead and stand with me, if you would, please? And uh, I pray for you as we go. Heavenly Father, we do again thank you for your word that is alive and active in us. 
And Lord, we pray that this week when temptation comes knocking, we'll know it for what it is. And instead, we'll put our trust and our confidence in you, the one who is able to keep us from falling. And so, Lord, as we go from here, would you go with us? Send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.